I think if you're a fan of local politics, it is going to be a very interesting situation because you have a new mayor who opposed the Titan Stadium. You have one of his top advisors in, in Mendez who opposed the stadium. And they are going to step in to their new roles with the mandate of making the East Bank successful. It's a very interesting tension. They're going to be pivoting from critics to let's make this work. Let's make this a, a win for the city. Affordable housing will be the number one point of contention. You, you asked what comes next. Things like how much money does the city have to pay toward infrastructure is going to be a, a negotiation point, as is how much affordable housing is going to be included. And one thing to keep in mind, the East Bank is the most expensive piece of real estate like in the Southeast region. You don't want to just create a playground for wealthy people and you want residents to live there. And so uh, progressives have definitely made clear that affordable housing is a vital part of that. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. I'm Jamie Holland. You cannot find me on X. In studio, of course, our guest today, Nate Rao from Axios. We have much to discuss. We have a transition taking place in the mayoral office. We've got a pending issue with the sports authority coming up. We've got property taxes to discuss East bank development contracts being handed out left and right. We've got a lot of things to discuss today all through the lens of sort of looking forward and what do Nashvillians need to expect uh, as the, the Metro council will meet for the first time coming up on October 3rd and we have a new administration. Nate, how are you, sir? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Do you feel special uh, being the first ever two-time guest really? on the show? I do. First I ever. didn't know that. that is, first guest and first repeat guest. That's right. exactly wow. right. We're going back to the well. That's awesome. Uh, do you call it Twitter? I, you know, I try to avoid, it's like that thing where you don't know someone's name. I try to avoid <laughs> saying it. That's why even in stories, I've been like, on social media, they said X and X, whatever. So. <laughs> Credible news stories call it X, comma, formerly okay. Twitter, comma. Oh, there you go. Normal humans call it Twitter. Jamie, where can the good people give us five stars? Apple Podcasts, go to the show, scroll all the way to the bottom past 20 episodes. And our dear listeners are following Braden because now we're at 3.45 ratings per episode. Thank you very much. I, I'm, I'm glad that you're proud of yourself. Uh, Nate, a lot to discuss. Thank you, by the way, for coming in. Uh, tell everybody where they can get your newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter. I read it all the time. Tell everybody where they can get that. Yeah, I think the URL is axios.com slash local slash Nashville. And I'm on X at TN Nate Rao. So you can subscribe that way too. All right. So a lot of today's show is going to focus on what is coming up for the new government, the new metro government in, in the city of Nashville. And so we'll start with the transition. Who is going to be helping Freddie O'Connell in the mayoral office? Who is helping him transition? Who is going to be a part of his uh, team moving forward? And sort of what does that all mean for how the administration is going to work and what does it mean for the city? So let's just start with, and I know you did some reporting on Friday, Nate, about some of the folks that are going to be involved in this. If you want to just get started with what exactly happens during the transition? Well, 
the most important thing that happens during a transition is that the newly elected mayor prepares to take office. And that requires putting a team together to decide who am I going to hire to be my top aides in my new office. And it also requires you to collaborate with the outgoing mayor to get information. What are the kind of pitfalls that we're going to be facing? Who, which staffers are going to be leaving soon? Maybe there's a department head who's going to be retiring. Maybe there's a lawsuit coming. There's all these things that happen behind the scenes that a new mayor needs to know in order to hit the ground running and, and do the job well. Do you want to take us through some of the names? Again, you did some reporting on Friday. Bob Mendez, of course, former council member at large, is going to be a top advisor. You've got uh, PR executive Katie Varney is going to be a part of this. Christy Pruitt-Haynes. Do you want to roll through some of the names that you have reported on and are a part of this team? And what does it mean? What, 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 what do you take away from the collection of people that Freddie O'Connell has chosen to be around him? Well, there's the transition team, which is his advisors. And like you said, some of those names, uh, Katie Varney, uh, Alex Jahanger, who people will remember was leading the city's pandemic response. You have attorney David Esquivel, and I'm probably not going to remember all the names on, on this pop quiz off the top of my head. <laughs> but Mendez is an interesting, has an interesting part to play here, right? He is advising Mayor-elect O'Connell, like you just said, on the transition. And then just earlier today, I reported that he has been hired for a role in the mayor's office. So that's a really big deal for people who, you know, are following who the new mayor is going to hire. First, the Davidson County Election Commission met this morning and they certified the election results from the Metropolitan runoff election of September 14th. And reminder to everyone, the Davidson County Election Commission is a state agency. It's not a metropolitan government agency, but metropolitan government money is used to fund it's lawyers and lawsuits. Mendez, I expect him to be the czar of the East Bank. The guy that fought the hardest to get the East Bank development is going to be the czar of it, I suspect. And the most noticeable thing to me about the transition was the decision of Mayor-elect Connell to keep the law director in place. I've referred to that, baseball fans, as stepping in the bucket it was a easy pitch, middle-middle, for him to hit, to let him go, to reset the relationship between the metropolitan government and the state of Tennessee vis-a-vis all the lawsuits that had been filed recently that were done at the behest of the law director, Wally Dietz. And I think that was a big mistake right out of the gate. Yeah, I think, you know, Maybe the thought process there was, regardless of the direction I want to see the legal department go, these are complicated lawsuits. And just for like ease of transition, I want the guy who's been the point person on the lawsuits to keep leading them. I don't know how long like Mr. Dietz will stay in that role. So I guess we'll see. Some of these lawsuits, as you know, are going to be dragged out for years, I think. So it's these are long legal battles, and I don't know if we'll stay till the bitter end with all of them. But I've got a cheeseburger bet he does not make it to January 1, 2024. Why is that date important? Because that's just the new year, but the second Tuesday of the month is when the legislature convenes. And, Braden, if you remember in a prior episode, I said October was going to be the fuck around period and starting in January was going to be the find out. Well, I missed it again. It started in September with the decision to keep Wally Dietz on as law director. Well, and also the 
sports authority, the new balance of the sports authority board, which we'll get into because there's a p- potential lawsuit coming, that that takes effect, correct, on January 1st? Is that- also, the sports authority legislation is effective January 1, 2024, and that that bill, at least in the House, now Senate too, was sponsored by the who's who of House GOP leaders. Lead sponsor was the chairman of the Appropriation Committee, Ryan Williams. The next sponsor was Johnny Garrett, the House Majority Whip. Another sponsor is William Lamberth. He's the House Majority Leader. The Senate sponsor was Chairman of the Commerce Committee, Paul Bailey, who is currently jockeying to be the next Lieutenant Governor and Speaker of the Senate, and whose profile was raised during the special session because he's he led the charge to shut down the Senate from passing any bills that the House was considering, and it already adopted. You know, I think the new mayor has a, a problem because, on one hand, he does want to improve the relationship with the state. That's what's really going on. It's not just about the legal director. That's one hire. It's about how do I make inroads with these conservative Republicans. The city's been at, at war with them, basically, while at the same time, the, the progressives, the people who got O'Connell elected, they want the city to stand up and fight for the stuff that they think is state overreach. So... I want to improve the relationship on this hand, but on the other hand, I want to see these, at least see these legal fights through. It's probably why everybody wanted the job, right? I, <laughs> I can hear in my mind, Braden, some of your other podcasts, the lyric goes, stand up, fight back. <laughs> We're going to constant war. Metro has decided that's, that's the position it wants to take, in my opinion. That's the readout. Well, and that's, that's what I was going to ask next for both of you is, what can you learn from the decisions he's made so far? Again, very what does that tell you about the direction we're going? Because I think those same progressives you, you talk about, Nate, that voted for him and got him elected, I, I don't think they fully grasp. I think the voters don't fully, I think the politicos know, but the voters I don't think fully grasp how centrist he actually is and, and how pragmatic he can be as a council member. And I think that's a benefit to the city. You, Jamie, you're saying he's already showing signs in one quick decision that that he's confrontation is what he wants to do and, as opposed to smoothing it all over aka stepping in the bucket and i think one other thing like internally with metro particularly mnps he's talked about wanting to delay the start time for high school and i don't think that's been coordinated with the director of schools and my experience with the director of schools and mnps if you're not kissing her ring you're out and so i I think that might be a confrontation up front and that confrontation i support i i know councilman o'connell somewhat and i i think mayor elect (laughs) mayor elect o'connell i think if you take his politics out of it just his interpersonal skills he's good at that and so he is not going to shy away from taking meetings with the very lawmakers who filed the legislation that created these legal fights. And, and I'm pretty sure those conversations have already been going on. So on, we'll see. I think that's the thing. We'll see yeah. how, how well he does at, at mending the relationship. I think, you know, if there was some big economic development deal, is there some initiative that they could collaborate on and lower stakes? That would be something that could maybe immediately smooth the relationship over. But it's really just a we'll see situation. But, but, but everything's got a $2 billion price tag on it is what, is what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, the Titan Stadium deal has got a half a billion dollar interest from the state of Tennessee relative to the bond issuance. So they're invested in that project. 
Yeah, and, you know, they collaborated with Metro on that project. You know, they collaborated with the Cooper administration. Uh, so we'll see. I, I, I couldn't, I, like I said, I know this guy fairly well, and I don't know the answer to that question about how it's going to go. Well, and that doesn't include the, I mean, it does, you say, like, can they find something smaller-ish to collaborate on that shows progress, shows the ability to work together, all, you know, whatever cliche you need. But at the end of the day, the things that matter in this city are large. It's it's an East Bank development. It's a Titan Stadium. It's a housing crisis. It's just it's huge stuff. Uh, and Jamie, I think one of our first episodes ever, I asked you, what does the crowded field tell you about the mayoral race? And you said nobody wants the job. Is I think one of the first things you said. And that's what I'm <laughs> I'm already seeing how difficult the role is going to be stepping into it right away and and having to make very d- difficult decisions. Well, because. I, I told Mayor Elect Connell back in December when he called me, like, it doesn't matter to me who the mayor is. It matters to me who the law director is because we've currently been using one particular firm who's, you know, one member's included in the transition as a revolving door. There's, that's not the only firm in town that receives taxpayer money like pouring water out of a damn boot. And they're happy with it. Yeah, because legal they direct legal work. I suspect in the future... Some legal work, particularly on the East Bank, is going to be directed to a law firm, you know, Mendez came from. I see that on the horizon. And, and you mentioned just keeping deets, how that might upset Republicans. A, another key hire, the, maybe the only key hire we know about at this point for sure, is Mendez. He was the lead opponent of the RNC coming here, which upset state Republicans as well. So they are watching this stuff. They're, they're, they're paying attention. Obviously, they're paying attention to who he hires in those roles. We can't forget Marjorie Pomeroy Wallace. She's involved in the transition too. Yeah. Uh, don't want to discount that, but I say count, former Councilman Mendez and Marjorie Pomeroy Wallace. That's who, the who, who that's, ran Freddie's campaign, right? That's the real people running the transition, not the Escovels and Varneys. You know, that that's more lipstick on a pig. So, so why? Deal. So why not just say that then? You'd have to ask somebody else. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I can I can tell. Maybe you they're that. writing briefing books and reports and those kind of things like does the average davidson county voter care about what person is helping you know you know i'm not saying it doesn't matter i'm just saying does the average person know the difference no but why not just say that's what i'm saying yeah who the real people are doing the deal unless there's an angle to try to send a message to the, the state legislators maybe well we sent a, we start certainly sent a message to one particular law firm in town that hey business is good it's still going we're gonna keep pouring money your way, Name don't names. worry. <laughs> the s- deep state, aka okay. Metro Legal. God. Um, all right. So one of the big things coming up on uh, the the calendar is going to be the the sports authority and the sports authority takeover. So Nate, let's start with what it is, so that people need to, so we can kind of educate some folks on what it exactly is the Nashville Sports Authority and what changes have taken place and what is coming in the horizon. So let's start with what is the Nashville Sports Authority and why do people need to care about it. The, the Sports Authority is the board that is the landlord, effectively, for our pro sports venues. Bridgestone Arena, Nissan Stadium, Geotis, uh, Sounds Ballpark, First Horizon. So they oversee the financing, the lease, uh, all those sorts of details. And this has always been a city agency. This has been something where the, that board of directors has been nominated by the mayor, confirmed by the Metro Council, and metro folks have been the ones making the big decisions about our sports venues what changed is amid this you know blowback from the state they passed a bill that changed the way that that board is appointed 
So now seven of those board members are still appointed by the mayor and, and the council, and six will be appointed by state officials. And what, what that will mean is you've got this tension for the first time on, on these venues. How are they going to be operated? Will there be key decisions where there's a dispute? This has been a board that largely gets along. I mean, these folks get along. Their goal is to get these projects approved, get the financing uh, passed. And I think there's a real fear based on recent track record that, one, is the state done with uh, tinkering with the sports authority composition? Could we see even more legislation where the state just out and out takes it over? That's number one. But number two is, will there be conflict at a place where there really hasn't been up to this point? What, what kind of decisions, let's say they take it over. Obviously, there could be legal ramifications, lawsuits. All H- things. Hold, on, hold on. We got 13-member board. Seven will be maintained as Metro appointees, if you will. Two from the governor, two from the Speaker of the House, two from the Speaker of the Senate. So there'll still be a minority. But also, it's the sports authority is a creation of state statute. You know, it wasn't just made Metro. Metro made it out of whole cloth. It's creation of state statute. Sorry to interrupt. Some no, no, it, nerdy well, details. But it is it the the seven six split feels like a giant shot across the bow. Like it's like oh we're gonna we're gonna take six and give you the, the the authority to maintain voting control, but guess what we've got six and it feels like we did that out of the goodness of our heart and again I'm speaking from the state's perspective on this, and, and I guess that's what that's what the the lawsuits could be about. I guess uh, let's say they do take it over, I I want to know what are the implications to the venues to the to the people of the city like what happens if they take it over. This is where my view is I think a. Uh, a little nuanced. I've spent a lot of my time as a reporter covering sports authority meetings. And this is mostly back when the Preds were maybe leaving town and making really drastic changes to their lease agreements and really complicated, frankly, decisions. And my gut tells me that the people appointed to these boards are not going to go in there throwing grenades and trying to make our venues less successful. You also have just the reality about how these buildings are financed. The state is a major player in how these things have been paid for obviously the titan steam is a perfect example literally 500 million dollars are state bonds that's the entire state paying for it and then you also have the the hotel motel tax and the sales tax that the state made possible so there is no titans financing deal without the state and that's true of all of our sports venues give me more detail on like what they specific when you say make them less successful what does that mean like they can in terms of how they're financed, how much revenue they throw off, where that money goes, what what specifically can they can they actually decide? Well, I think there's fear among Metro stakeholders that whatever, however this board changes, the venues become less successful. And that's an abstract question about what that would be. I, you could say it's a little bit of unfounded fear, frankly, because I don't think we know. I haven't heard a specific, to answer your question directly, I haven't heard a specific threat that like, oh, Bridgestone's going to fall like off stop the cliff. taking concerts or something? Yeah, like, I mean, are they going to get into the weeds and change how those buildings are booked or who comes in? I, I don't know. I think that it's it's just, there's a, like we said in our previous, in your previous question, there's, a, there's not a lot of trust going both directions yeah. right now. And so it's more of an existential threat, I think you would say. But the state's point, and, you know, I talked to some of the lawmakers who were involved in this, is 
man, we've put up, we're putting up an awful lot of state yeah. money, we and we're, we're and we're metaphorically writing the check, and then we're just handing it over to the those liberals in Nashville. Those those are not their exact words, and and hoping <laughs> that they that they run it well. By the way, the buildings have been run well, and that I, that, I think that's people's concerns is yeah. that they're going to take over the money. Bridgestone Arena is one of the most successful arenas in the world. Yeah. Not in the Southeast, not in the U.S., not North America, in the entire globe. So I think a lot of the Democrats I talk to, it's like, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, what are we doing here? Like, well, Who, who owns that team now? Uh, I guess a backbench Republican some people might have heard of, Bill Haslam. <laughs> I don't think it's full. I don't think he's full majority owner just yet, but we'll see. Uh, what's interesting is I think, I think it's the new Titan Stadium revenue streams that people are concerned about in the future, right? Is that fair to say that... Because uh, Jamie, you can maybe you'll you'll be able to speak to this a lot more than than either of us. But with the airport situation, huge money maker. I, th I think the concern, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think the concern is, is that once the Titan Stadium's up and running, they've got this zone that collects all this revenue. We've paid off the debt. Somebody comes in and takes over that 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 revenue stream, and it no longer is going to the city, which isn't all that different than what is kind of happening with the Music City Center to some degree, right? Am I in the same ballpark here? I mean, I don't think anybody's taking over the revenue streams from the airport I, I don't think that's changed they just put people on the board which includes senate majority leader jack johnson I, I don't think that's a threat to taking over the money and you know that's currently in litigation metro made application for an injunction which was denied because they didn't file the application for injunction timely but I think I think you're raising a good point that would be like something for this podcast to address in like 20 years, <laughs> 25 years. So I don't know if you can. It's a long me. time doing a podcast. Yeah. Thing. Well, I have faith in you. It's like Music City Center created a point of dispute. There was way more revenue generated by that building in layman's terms than has been needed to pay the debt. I think there's a prediction the same thing's going to happen at Nissan State or with the, I'm sorry at the new Titan Stadium, and when that does happen, absolutely the state fifty percent of the sales tax. That's not just fifty percent of the metro sales tax. That's fifty percent of the state state sales tax as well is going to help pay for that building. And so again, this is their point. This is why they think they want a voice. Right now, but, I'm going to quibble with you by saying you you said Metro or Music City Center is generating all this revenue. I would submit to you that that's not true i'm saying the revenue generated there is a result of the tdz tourist development zone a big circle that's went around that building to that's currently capturing our pros economic prosperity and tourism prosperity and it's going to fund the debt on the convention center and that it was people have to understand that that was at a time in 2007 2008 we were in economic recession Justin Wilson, the former comptroller, would say that we made that circle as big as possible because we didn't want egg on our face from failing. But that was a create, creation of state law that enabled that to happen, much like the circle around the new Titan Stadium, whatever it's going to be called. And, and now that the building is, for, again, this is why, Nate, you said layman's terms, I believe, before before Jamie got into this acronyms over there. But I, is that what we're saying is that now that the Music City Center is – We've, we've, we're through that tipping point. We're through that break-even point, and now we can adjust it as we as they need to to, I mean, to, we'll, shrink, to we'll, shrink the zone. What should be a goal for the mayor of Nashville and an administration is reducing the size of that circle 
and say, hey, let that money start coming back into our coffers and back into state coffers instead of just to fund the debt. Now, I'm sure the people on the Convention Center Authority Board would pitch a hissy fit over that because what happened in the Cooper administration was he confiscated some of those built-up reserves and put it in the general fund. And the Convention Center Authority folks is the one that went to the state and said, hey, we need to keep him from doing that because we need, we need certain amount of reserves to do whatever it is they do. It, it's, it actually is a really interesting, if you're a nerd like me, balancing act for this next mayor and, and frankly the mayors that follow him is, on one hand, they finance the stadium by convincing undecided council members the state is the main person paying for this, right? The main entity paying for this. But on the other hand, now in the years that follow, they're going to want to set, they're going to want to keep as much of that state money as possible, and so it it really is a delicate balancing act. I I find the financing of stadiums to be one of the most fascinating things. But I come from a sports background like you, so it's Nate. It's so it's interesting. What what is next, Jamie, from a legal standpoint? They haven't gone past the six seat minority. And they're still going to face a potential. The state will face a potential lawsuit, correct? I mean, I suspect the new administration, perhaps the law director files a lawsuit on the last day of the Cooper administration. So Mayor O'Connell can say, hey, that that was the last mayor, wasn't me, kind of deal. But I suspect that's coming soon. And my guess is the arguments will be the same relative to Article 11, Section 9 of the Tennessee Constitution. Wonky, sorry. <laughs> uh, all right, anything else on the Sports Authority you guys want to throw in there to make sure people understand? Because it, it is going to bring us back to the East Bank development at some point uh, in the episode today. But anything else on the Sports Authority? We good? Other than they shouldn't do it, but whatever. Okay. The, the lawsuit, you're saying? Yeah. You're going to roll that grenade in there at the very end? Yeah, they shouldn't do it. Okay. Nate, you had a good piece in, in, uh, in Axios. Uh, go subscribe to the newsletter. I recommend everybody get it. It's a wonderful read. Uh, very quick, light, gets you up to date on everything you need to know about what's going on. And You and Adam uh, Tamburin do a great job, so go subscribe. But you guys talked a little bit about property taxes. We have alluded to this on the, on the show a few times, that there's a real chance, and I think actually Councilman Mendez has been on the record as saying, if you just, and I'm paraphrasing here, but if you know how to do basic math, there's going to need to be probably another increase in the property tax. Uh, just so that everybody knows, in 2020, $3.15 moved up to $4.20 per, per $100. Uh, that was a 30, that's where the 34% tax, property tax increase number comes from. But you guys did a good job, I think, of explaining sort of where we are as a city. Right now, our effective tax rate, uh, and you can explain that here in a second, Nate, is 0.81%, which would be 43rd out of 50 in the country based on the largest cities in each of the 50 states. The Shelby County would like a word. <laughs> the national average is 1.32, so we're barely more than half of the national average. And I'm saying all of this to, to point out to folks before they lose their brains about a property tax hike that none of us like. It is 50, roughly half the metro budget. That's where they get half their revenue. Uh, and we're still way, way, way lower than any cities that's sort of of comparable size and growth and, and expectations. So first of all, what is the effective tax rate? Define that for us. And do you think there's a property tax increase coming? <laughs> the effective tax rate is the percentage of your overall housing bill that you're spending on your property taxes. So it's as much of an apples to apples comparison in, as you can get looking at how each city, because they all tax differently. And yeah, you're right. We Our story was based on a national study. It looked at the largest city in each of the 50 states, and it found that Nashville, and I don't remember the exact number in, uh, off the top of my head, but was in the bottom few. 43rd. Okay. 
uh, nationally. So it's just further evidence that we do have a lower tax. You know, I just interviewed Mayor Cooper on his way out the door, and he said we're the lowest tax major city in the lowest tax state in the country. So that's kind of his take on the state of play. And I, I, this will get into the weeds a little bit. Go for but it. But we all know when our when we get our reassessed, uh, re, our our properties are reappraised, and we get a new tax bill. It happens every four years, and it used to be metro tradition that that year when you get the new appraisals is the year you would raise taxes. And there's a strategic reason for why that is. But that there was a tradition of raising taxes during reappraisal years that has been broken. And now we're going on a one increase in about 15 years, give or take, 12 to 15 years. 2012, I think, was the last one. And there's a consensus. And there were a few council members that even campaigned on this. I give council member Delisha Porterfield props for that. She was very candid that she thought we needed to adjust the rate in the next few years. You mentioned in our story, former council member Mendez said the same thing. He sees it coming. And I think it's a good guess that the next time that there's a reappraisal, we could have another tax increase. Guess ass. <laughs> it's coming. And, you know, in 2019, former council member Mendez sponsored a, about a 17% property tax increase. It failed by one vote. You remember who that one vote was? Was it future mayor? Future mayor John Cooper. Former mayor John Cooper. But in his, you know, in 2020, don't forget, that happened in a pandemic. And it got raised 34%. Now I'm sure the former mayor, soon to be former mayor, would say, "Well, don't you don't you remember when the comptroller came and lectured us and said if we don't get it straight, we're gonna the comptroller's gonna run your finance department." So it worked. Well, and and our city's financial situation is significantly improved. It is, and and there's a lot that the city got to in the last four years that it wouldn't have gotten to if it didn't go up to that 34% level, according to the people who are happy about it, at least. And then you look at like even the pandemic relief funds, we didn't have to spend that on our operating costs like like other cities did. We were able to spend it on things like affordable housing, schools, education, more, more of it than we would have sure. bec because that tax increase put us in a better place. Again, that's what, that's what the proponents would say. And, and why is it that you guys think that we're in such, again, the basic math, what, what is the basic math here? That, that leads to the need for the property tax increase aside from inflation and just sort of growth. But that, that is it though. Yeah. I mean, the, we're, we all live the basic math. Everything's more expensive now. We can't expect it not to be more expensive to pay Metro workers and still run the government. Well, I got a solution to lower your, the overall tax burden of the residents. And it will also reduce the amount of time council members spend at council meetings. More housing, zoning reform. We'll fucking do it. Let's fix it to where every bullshit thing that comes through the comes down the pike doesn't have to go to the council. Get a public hearing at the planning commission, public hearing at the council at second reading and third reading. We we fix that, build more housing, that'll lower everybody's burden and make council meetings shorter. I'm for I'm for shorter council meetings. I mean, these things are getting too long. And Jamie will remember Maytown Center was that 2008, 2009, 2009. That thing got voted down narrowly at the Planning Commission and narrowly at the Metro Council. Did y'all end up taking that up? We, we, council Member Matthews was a sponsor of that. Now Matthews, now juvenile court clerk, he didn't because it under the council rules it required 27 votes, so he never pressed for the vote. Got close to doing it, but. 
decided not to. But to your point about more housing, that was 50, almost 15 years ago, 14 years ago. And the progressives at the time opposed that thing because they said we need more density in the city core. Have, have we met that? I know we have towers downtown. I don't think we've met that. I don't think we've met it in regards to housing for sure. You know, no. and we have this weird situation where the the progressives know we need more housing. I'm saying this like it's a derisive term. A lot of the people pu- pushing for more housing are progressives. But do you know what happens when a when a rezone comes into certain neighborhoods and you're going to have impacts on traffic, you're going to have impacts on infrastructure? The neighborhoods oppose it and the progressive council member who represents that area it has a really hard time supporting more density. So it's a circular uh, battle. And I hear, actually, I'm going to take that back a little bit. I hear people across the political spectrum who are in widespread agreement that we need more density. So I don't know why the city government has failed on that over the last you know decade plus. Because it's sticky and because it's baked into our electoral system. You got to have neighborhood support, yada, yada, get elected. We've got 35 fucking district council I was going to try to answer this. You're going to be so proud of me. NIMBYism baked into our zoning code and the council's too big and... It's working, Braden. It's working. But I I would start with getting the people outside what I call the 440 Briley Loop. You know, let's start there. You know, UZO, you want to call it that, that's fine. Inside the Briley 440, let's start there. And let's get the people in White's Creek, in Jolton, in Bellevue, in southeast part of the county, in Oak Hill, Forest Hills. Let's get them on our team. Hell yeah, let's build it in there. Because we'll stay, we're, hey, we're not coming to your neighborhood. Let's start in here. We can do it all right here inside the UZO and build it up and damn near solve every problem in this town. It's like this conversation that I would have off the record with council members. And it's a source of frustration for sure, because I think there are people that see the big picture. Council member Sledge has been really vocal about needing more density. Council member Parker, uh, I know one, my council member, uh, council member Gamble, uh, before the new districts were, were drawn. So it's something people know we need, but the city just like hasn't gotten over the hump and done it. Well, it also ties into another piece that's in Axios as well. I also recommend the household income, of course, in Davidson County down one and a half percent, I believe, uh, from 2019 to 2022. The average household income, 81000 down to 80000 The state of Tennessee is actually up a little under 1%, 0.7%. The U.S. is down overall. Uh, but we now have 40% of the Davidson County population making over $100,000 a year. Went from 33 to 39% over the last three years. And I can't figure out, I, I've read the article now, Nate, and I was telling you this before the show, like multiple times, seeing the number of people making less than $25,000 in this city go down strikes me eventually as a good thing. If it's economic mobility, if it's people moving up in the tax bracket so that they are now more successful financially and more stable economically, the flip side of that is, do we actually know that's what's happening? Are these folks moving from one bracket up to the the other bracket, or is it people moving out of the city, right? I mean, that that's, and again, all this is in Axios. Go check it out. Yeah, and I think the conclusion of that article was that wages aren't keeping up with the cost of living increases, and we do have an affordability crisis, so not having studied it scientifically, just descriptively, I think people who are working class are are leaving or looking for more affordable housing, and increasingly that's further away from Nashville. It, going back to the, the um, almost every candidate that we had a chance to talk to on this show talked about the low level of taxes – but the high 
desire for amenities, right? And how do we keep that balance? And you mentioned talking with, with Mayor Cooper about how we're at the lowest possible level. Is that, is that sustainable? Is that, is that, or is that why the, t- the property tax increases seem so inevitable? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it is sustainable, you know. And then we haven't even gotten in, when you think about how taxes are spent, we haven't gotten into schools, which are critics say underfunded at the state level. So Metro is having to pick up the slack. And Mayor Cooper, by the way, has picked up the slack. I mean, this is just objectively true. The amount of revenue that he has put towards schools so that our per pupil student funding has gone up substantially in his term. Uh, no, it's not sustainable without raising taxes. Yeah. All right, you guys want to get into East Bank development? Because all this does tie into the implications for the East Bank development. Um, they've handed out a few contracts, right? They've handed out a few of these deals. They've got the Fallon Company, which is based out of Boston. Almost all these, by the way, are based in other places, but have offices here, right, most of the time. Construction is set to be completed around 2034, so that's exciting. <laughs> um, we better get more damn housing if you want your kids to be able to come back here and live anywhere near that place. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Governor Lee has set aside, it looks like, what, $200 million for a TPAC. They're still negotiating a lot of the financing and the final deals here with the new administration, Freddie O'Connell. Four hotels featuring over 1,400 rooms, 1,500, almost 1,600 uh, units of housing with over 1,000 of them being affordable. And I saw that ratio and I thought, oh, that's great. And then you think about how 1,000... Units of affordable housing is largely a drop in the bucket to solve the pr- the problem you're talking about. But I think the affordable housing task force report of 2021 said we need to build about 5,500 5, a year, which I think is low, and we're coming in at about 1,300. Like the gap keeps getting worse. Well, and we got to burn. Good. We got to we got to burn the zoning code. That's what we have to do, and we got to quit doing a plan in Asheville where we go to all the NIMBYs and say, what would you like? Well, we know what they'd fucking like. We, no more housing is what they want. Burn that, too. I think if you're a fan of local politics, it is going to be a very interesting situation because you have a new mayor who opposed the Titan Stadium. You have one of his top advisors in, in Mendez who opposed the stadium. And they are going to step in to their new roles with the mandate of making the East Bank successful. And so it's a, it's a very interesting tension. They're going to be pivoting from critics to let's make this work. Let's make this, let's make this um, a, a win for the city. Affordable housing will be the number one point of contention. You, you asked what comes next. The city has to negotiate that deal with the Fallon Company. And things like how much money does the city have to pay toward infrastructure is going to be a a negotiation point, as is how much affordable housing is going to be included. And one thing to keep in mind, the East Bank is the most expensive piece of real estate like in the southeast region. And so is that the best place to get the most possible units of affordable housing? Uh, I I think no is the answer. I think it it would be money better spent to, to have more units and disperse it across the county. But at the same time... You don't want to just create a playground for wealthy people and you want uh, residents to live there. And so uh, progressives have definitely made clear that affordable housing is a vital part of that. Well, and I don't know about you guys, but it doesn't strike me as affordable housing inside the tax, like inside the very geographic location to the stadium. I don't know how you pay off the $2 billion stadium with affordable housing. Like, does that make sense? Like the hotels and the bars and the entertainments, like all that stuff, the playground is what 
will throw off enough sales tax to pay off the cost of the stadium, unless I'm reading that all wrong. No, that's correct. I don't like the term affordable housing. We need more fucking housing. More, more, more. That also solves some of our education problem because teachers are moving out. Principal, existing principals now don't live here. And if you don't live here, you can't really run a school with the students that do. It doesn't work. I can cite you plenty of examples, but I won't burn them right here today. Well, law enforcement doesn't live in their communities anymore either. Burn the zoning code. Uh, Nate, what do we need to, what do because you, you just mentioned the gravity of the, the development. Now, I will say what's interesting about the Mendez-O'Connell vote relationship, it strikes me as very similar to John Cooper's relationship to the soccer stadium, who was against it largely when when it was being voted on as, a, as an outlawed council member. Then he gets into office and he does fight for a quote-unquote better deal for the city of Nashville, does get a quote-unquote better deal for the city of Nashville, and then eventually says, all right, let's go. So, like, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with somebody saying during their campaign or even voting against it as a prior council member and then coming in and saying, look, I've got to deal with this. Let's make it work. I think that's the job, I th- to I be think honest. that's a really good comparison. I could see it playing out that way where, you know, they're going to get in there and try to negotiate the best deal possible. Now, they won't be renegotiating the East Bank in this case, so it's a little bit different. Uh, here's one other thing to keep in mind. I know this is not, like, mind-blowing, but – Let's just say that O'Connell is a two-term mayor, like most of our mayors in metro history have been. I think we the arrow is pointing to PSC Metals and relocating the scrapyard like it never has been before. And so maybe that's a second-term initiative, or maybe that's like toward the end of this term. But, man, it sure feels to me Oracle, East Bank Redevelopment, Titan Stadium – the last domino to drop for us to not have a riverfront that is a wasteland. I mean, I think we've talked about this on your other. You and part. I have talked a lot. About it is it, yeah. it is comical. Like you, you go to almost any city with like a great river through its downtown, and everywhere else it looks cool. And ours is just like has been like a dump for the twenty one years I've lived here. So also a floodplain. <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> man, I don't know what I don't know you, you've, you've represented this area on the city council, so I don't know what you think, but I think that. I could see that happening yeah. under O'Connell's administration eventually. Does the price keep going up? I represent the other side of Gallatin Road. Carl Icahn sold the business, but not the land. And that, you know, 10, I've been hearing about this 30 years. <laughs> long fucking time. And, you know, I remember a conversation that started with Bredesen. At the time, they had a lease. And the, I, the notion was let's build up around it and increase the value of it, decrease the because the lease was tied to the value of the property, let's increase the value of the property that moves them out. Well, hell, once it got a certain amount, Icon just sold the business and kept the dirt. And I think I read where Mayor Cooper was said, ah, we're not going to do anything there until he dies. Well, that's a hell of a strategy. Yeah, every but, mayor I've covered has wanted to do I was going to say, we've had 10. Have they all tried to buy it? <laughs> the five I've covered have tried to have tried to move it. Yeah, because the notion was eminent domain. Well, that doesn't really fly in the state of Tennessee as well anymore. You have that shot like when Monday Night Football's in town and they pan out. Sometimes you get a glimpse of the scrapyard and people are just like, what the hell? Uh, By the way, as you And a nice parking lot. Real nice parking lot. And we need metal recycling. (laughs) What they do is not is not bad for our city. Like we need, the region needs that. And so that's why you, and it generates revenue. So I think- you don't want to kick them out. You want to keep them in Davidson County somehow. But what a little-known secret is they've come close before. 
and I, I, I couldn't say who, but there was a mayor since I've been covering the city that came pretty damn close well, you to getting st- it done. Well, we know it's one of the five then. It's one of the five. <laughs> Well, the notion was at the time, swap some land with them and send them up the river into Scottsboro. And as soon as that got wind, you know, there's a lot of well-heeled Nashvillians that don't land in Scottsboro, and they pitched the damn fit. Said, hell no, it's going to stay right there. It's like like NIMBY on a different level. You also have uh, the Nations has an industrial area near the river. They have to be near a river, and they have to be near the interstate to to make their operation work. So that's the whole thing. It's it's not it's not easy to pull off, but it just doesn't make sense. At the end of this twenty thirty four, you said it doesn't make sense to have a scrapyard dotting our riverfront. So we'll see. We're gonna build this big, beautiful transit thoroughfare from our one of the most successful airports in the region that bring in, uh, and I believe, one hundred and forty one million people visited the state of Tennessee. In, in the tourism, uh, generating $29 billion in, in tourism dollars last year in the state of Tennessee. We're going to do that. And then welcome to Nashville and the front porch is the scrapyard. It was almost like if you drove up from the south and you got into downtown in like 1999 and the front porch was deja vu. <laughs> well, Nate, you brought up Maytown at the time. People said, hey, we don't want another downtown. Well, I bet locals now would love another downtown. But two, there are certain fears. I don't think necessarily valid in the end that the east bank redevelopment will become downtown part two or an extension of downtown so is there going to be any effort to limit the types of uses that are allowed in there we don't know anything about the retail or commercial uses they had at least four hotels so that to me does scream tourists but i still don't think that's what this will be totally in part because of the road and, I mean, Cooper loves to talk about this. If you want to see a politician be nerdy, ask him about that spine road that will go north and south from Oracle down through where Nissan currently is. That's something locals are going to use. And it's and, and if it extends on, it will be something that connects the interstates, connects down to Murfreesboro Pike near Trevecca. So I think that's kind of my pushback. I also see a lot of bike lanes. I see green space. I see stuff that like I think locals would like maybe they go eat dinner at Lachlan Table and they just go for a walk down like the cool area around our new stadium. So I don't know. That's just something I could see I could see happening. Maybe listening to podcasts while they bike. Can, can they <laughs> you think they can get the water to come out of the sprinklers at Cumberland Park? Oh, again? Yeah. My, my that's my wife's passion project. Like that or she, and just wanting splash pads in the whole county. I and I've seen others bring that up too. We like, we walked we used to walk our kids down to that park and not not anymore. Yeah. Maybe convert some unused tennis courts into pickleball courts and splash pads. It, it does strike me as, I don't know why, because there's, what is it, how many acres? 162 acres, is that correct? Off the top of my head. Uh, I had 130 off the top of my head. Okay, forgive me if I'm, I'm wrong there on that. But it strikes me as you have so many different needs for this piece of property, for this area. You have all these – you've got to have some, some tourism stuff to generate revenue to pay for the stadium. You're going to have a stadium at the, cent, the center of all of it, so you can't keep it from not being an entertainment district. But how do you build business and neighborhood and green space and transit and all this stuff? And it, it does feel like there's space for all of it and connect it to, to the other neighborhoods around it in a more efficient manner. I know there's people that live in Germantown that are super excited about the bridge that's coming. To, that's just going to be pedestrian only. Right. So I, I don't see why it can't be done. If you can get all the different vested parties in, aligned, which I know is hard to do, but that's the job of the mayor. And I, it seems like it's a possible. I actually seem like it, it could be done. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm naive. So what, what, do you, what do you think you're reporting on when it comes to the East Bank development in 
six months, eight months? What are the, what, are, what types of stories do you think you're writing? I think in about that timeline, the O'Connell administration will be taking the development deal with Fallon Company to council for approval. And I think what will be interesting to see is if the progressives who are most supportive of him on the council are also supportive of the deal. Does it have enough affordable housing? Uh, is the city putting up too much money to pay for the parking and the infrastructure, the sidewalks, et cetera? So I think that's like the next thing to look for. I mean, it. I put this in parallel with the TIF for the Omni Hotel to join the convention center night. Like, you know, I was one of the people who voted against the convention center because it was 10 times worse from a financing perspective than the Titan Stadium deal ever thought about me. But when it came time to approve, after the after the approval of the convention center to approve the TIF for the Omni Hotel, that was one of those hold your nose and vote for it things, perfects the enemy of the good here, has to happen. And there shouldn't be a fight over it. Let's get it done. Let's move on. Let's get going. You can have a robust conversation about doing it correctly, but yeah, you, you can't say no to, to the East Bank development at this point. That's probably the best guess of how it plays out, but we'll see. Uh, all right. Um, Jamie, you want to touch on some some mental health stuff here real fast before we wrap it up and, and send everybody on their merry way. Uh, excellent story. Uh, sorry to quote a competitor here, Nate. We apologize. But uh, Nashville Banner, Steve number one, uh, NashvilleBanner.com. Great story. 229 offenders, thousands of crimes, no easy answers is the headline. A number of misdemeanors in Nashville are committed by people who are incompetent to stand trial but can't get the mental health resources they need, and they'll commit more crimes in the future. I know, Jamie, you've mentioned that specific stat on the show before we have talked about mental health through the special session conversations a lot on the show. Uh, I know you're dealing with it a lot. Uh, I, we had Darren Hall on a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I want to play a little clip here from that episode so that if you, if you like what you hear, please go back and check out that episode. Here was Darren Hall sort of talking about the state of misdemeanors and mental health and, and our criminal justice system. So it's about 35% of the people coming to jail today in this community and most communities are diagnosed mentally ill. I, I knew and believe that that has to be dealt with in a different way. If, if there is a man, and there is a man here in town who's been arrested over 200 times, who's assaulted every nurse in Nashville, he's, he comes to jail, he gets out, and, and, and he's very it's publicly known. The courts really can't deal with him. He's incompetent. We, we should declare him incompetent. He needs to be institutionalized. Unfortunately, he's a 60-plus-year-old man. Can't be treated in a, in a treatment center. Can't. He's in, and so the point is that element to our population should never be in jail. Legally, they can't be in jail, but we have, it, have them there. All right, that was Sheriff Darren Hall. I, I cannot recommend an episode. I love everyone who's been on the show, including you, Nate. But I cannot recommend an episode more than the Darren Hall episode. We get a lot of response from that conversation. A guy who is doing more to help the mental health crisis in this city than probably anybody else. And he said that he said it. You said it on a previous episode. And now we've got stories coming out here. We've got to figure out what to do with folks who are dealing with this stuff because our system is currently not constructed in a way to handle it. A city could have lessened its burden vis-a-vis state law that was passed by the house in the special session but the senate refused to pass it and it was i think it's house bill 27 or house bill 72 in the special session that would have taken the burden and putting it on the state to provide mental health evaluations that's currently being funded to the sheriff's office and it was a missed opportunity hopefully it can be addressed 
in regular session when they convene second Tuesday in January. Uh, one of the things that stick with, sticks with me a lot about that conversation with Sheriff Hall is he's not shy about the, the funding. He says, if you're going to take 30% of my people in my care and you're going to put them somewhere else, you can take 30% of that funding and you can take it with you and go somewhere else with it. So he's saying all the right things, doing all the right things. And I, again, I can't recommend an episode more. Go listen, uh, Sheriff Darren Hall, a couple of weeks ago on on this here uh, episode. Nate, what's coming up on Axios, man? What you got for the good folks? Well, we do have a story on Monday about the East Bank and the new mayor addressing that. So I guess we already went over that. The only other thing that we didn't talk about today for how the new uh, administration will unfold is transit. I do think that will be like the O'Connell moon mission is getting dedicated funding for mass transit. So we're going to have a referendum. Yeah, I think we are. And uh, we'll see. Can he unite the business community and, and, you know, progressive activists in a way that the previous referendum failed to do, because that's the recipe for winning elections in our in our county. One of the things never mentioned in the two or three mayors ago was like, "Hey, we're going to start on Galden Road in East Nashville." That wasn't selected as a for a logistical reasons. That was selected for support reasons because most people in East Nashville supported it, but Galden Road was never wide enough to support it. According to people in the know, it should have started on Charlotte because it's a lot wider. There's more room, that kind of deal. Anything that gets started here has to be done on what's the best place to start. It has to get started. And is it a train? I would take some low-hanging fruit and let's get a dedicated lane for the bus and traffic signalization that's connected to the bus where the light turns to benefit the bus. Let's do that first. Uh, isn't Murfreesboro Pike to the airport also big enough? Yeah. I, I mean, believe. that's another one that people mentioned. And, and Nolensville, yeah. I think, is another one. So I, I think what's really Getting complicated. People to and from the airport to downtown. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's interesting is it's a very complicated issue. People don't understand that, like, roads are owned by the state versus owned by the city. And they have control over, you know, dot versus dot. Like, there are all these different bodies that, that control these things. And I think we've had, I think, I, I want to say multiple candidates that came on the show said, if you can build the bus lane, the dedicated bus lane first, that's where you can evolve that. Once you have the dedicated bus lane and you have acquired the, the piece of property that, are, that it takes to do that, that's when down the road the train can come, if you, light rail, whatever you want to call it, can, can come over there into that spot. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree. The bespectacled transit nerd is going to try to get, get some dedicated funding for transit. Can you guys just talk? You go through this stuff so quickly. I want for people to understand. When you say, all right, referendum, you're talking about the people of Nashville voting on a on a package to pay f- for transit. Yeah, basically. And they and they did. We did in 2018 and it failed. So, you know, it's uh, it a lot is, of players in that. <laughs> yeah. And we'll see if the if the new mayor can pull it off. All right. Jamie, anything else? Big guy. That's it. You good? Nate, thank Thanks, you. Thanks, so, Nate. Thank you Appreciate so much for coming in. Uh, I will not root for the Cubs, but I'm not going to dog cuss your team either. Uh, thank you for coming in. We do appreciate it. Go to Axios, subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, obviously, roll to, scroll to the bottom of your Apple uh, podcast app there. Hit five stars. We do appreciate it. Share the product. Tell somebody about it. Uh, it means a lot to us. I hope they get kicked out of playoff contention in the most horrible fashion possible. <laughs> well, uh, there won't be any Cardinal playoff games this year, which warms my heart. So. <laughs> Correct. Would you guys like to continue this off off air? <laughs> we can do that. Thank you guys all for listening. We do appreciate it. For Jamie Holloman and Braden Gall, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.